Hey, teachers of littles out there. Yeah, you. We see you. Tired of pinning, Facebook grouping, and hoping you struck idea gold? Are you at your wit's end and need a safe space to feed you and get the support you need both in and out of the classroom? Then this podcast is for you. Join Renee Pena Lopez, an early childhood learning specialist who is in the fray with you. Get ready to have an honest and real conversation around early childhood and the challenges of play for littles while learning to connect the dots through guided play strategies. Get ready to sit back and listen in on today's conversation. The magic of littles starts now. Hi, hi, teachers of littles. Hi, Chantel. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, so, teachers of littles out there, as you know, I love interviewing interesting people, and Chantel is definitely one of those interesting people. We met on a um, Facebook uh, group, and we found we had similar interests. And um, yeah, so Chantel, really just a small bio. You guys know I give you a heads up about who I'm interviewing. She's a special educator like I am. She's an author, which I hope to be, <laughs> um, a podcaster, a transformer, transformation coach. She uses a three-part framework along with the power of neuro coaching model to help motivate high achievers rediscover their passions and purpose in life so that they can rise up, step into their full potential, and su- successfully please, navigate their journey to create a life you love. Her book, Create a Life You Love, 10 Healthy Habits to Transform Your Life Now, shares her personal transformation journey in an easy-to-read format that feels like you are having a cup of coffee with a long-lost friend. I'm all for that, by the way. Not the coffee, but the long-lost friends. Each chapter ends with a practical step that anyone can implement to kick off their own journey experience and transformation of their own. She then went on to found a create a create, excuse me, a life you love coaching and start the create a life you love podcast, where she connects with people all around the world to share tips and strategies to help each other on their journeys. So teachers a little as you know you have work-life balance, listen to her podcast. Get that work-life balance in order. Hi, Chantel. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. And so, like I said, we connected on a um, Facebook group. I was looking for guests. I'm always looking for interesting people. And um, let's just dive in. So what attracted me to uh, interviewing you is you initially, when you applied, um, your title was a professional learning coordinator for special education cooperative. And before we get too far in, I have a child. Chantel has a cat. He may hear either one of them. You know, this is the real world, right? And so let me get instructions here, there, but just so you know um, <clears throat> that it might happen. All right, let's, let's go. All right, Chantel. So, what is that? Like, so you told me you got a promotion. Uh, congratulations, first of all, as an assistant director. And I guess my first thought is like, what's a special education cooperative? Yeah. So I currently live in the state of Kansas and I don't live in a very rural place. I actually live in the largest city in the state. But back in the day when like IDEA and all this stuff started coming out, um, all the districts were pretty rural. And so, you know, they might have 
the need for maybe a half day a week speech language pathologist, but they couldn't really get somebody for five days a week. Um, and then, you, you know, it just didn't work. So all these small little rural districts combined together and formed what's either called an interlocal or cooperative so that they could kind of share resources. And yeah, so that's just... So I'm employed through the cooperative, but I'm placed in a school district. So it's, yeah. Oh, interesting. And so how many children do you have under you? Um, our, yeah, our co-op is currently the largest in the state. We have nine districts, um, like 700 paraprofessionals, 350 wow. teachers, so, um, and this will be our last year in existence. We are dissolving um, on June 30th, and we're going to divide into three smaller co-ops. So the hope is, there's the cat, um, <laughs> the hope is um, to kind of increase, you know, efficiency, effectiveness, and just kind of have the smaller districts that have a little bit more local control, but still have the ability to share resources, Um I mean, that's interesting, especially right in the time of this recording when a middle pandemic, um, a lot of home pods are popping up here and there. And I'm sure um, some families that have kids that have either IEPs or kids, um, a little bit of delays are feeling like, how do I support my child with all this going on? And so can I ask how what it looks like day to day, this cooperative, like what makes it different than a traditional um, school setting? So from a parent standpoint and a child standpoint, um, it really probably looks similar to where it looks anywhere else um, in that a student would go through the identification process, uh, become eligible for special education services. Uh, the team would write an IEP and then the services would start. Um, and so because the parents and the kid don't really care who writes whose paycheck, <laughs> but essentially it's just um, that I'm an employee of the co-op um, who employs all of the special education staff and then assigns them in the buildings and works collaboratively with the districts. Um, so it, it probably looks very similar. It's just that, you know, when we've got nine districts, you know, we've got one hearing impaired person and one visually impaired person, and they'll serve all the kids in all the nine districts instead of somebody just working, you know, a half a day here, a half a day here and getting paychecks from all different kinds of places. They have one employer. No, that, I mean, that makes sense. So here in New York City, we have a large bath system. And so it, you can just imagine if, let's see, I'm in District 10 in the Bronx, but I think we go up to 12 districts. I always, oh, wow. I always say 12 or 13, but you can just imagine the inundation of, so we have early childhood um, services. It goes from early intervention, which is birth to three. We do three to five with CPSE, which is Committee of um, Preschool, just so you know, special education, because oftentimes people are like, what's the difference of that? No link intervention is that they broke up the age group. And then we have um, Committee of Special Education, which is kindergarten and up, which you can just imagine, and up is a vast, <laughs> a vast thing. But I also want to let everyone know you like what is ideal just so um, everyone knows it's individuals um, with disability education act i remember this from taking the special education um cert test i don't know why i remember facts like this but um it was a piece of american legislation that 
ensured students with disabilities are provided with um, FAPE, which is a free, appropriate public education. Um, and it's tailored to the needs of um, that child to make sure that they are getting the right um, proper setting that they need. I have that right <laughs> from like many years ago. I'm taking that exam, um, stuck in my brain. Um, but yeah, so if I was, um, I am a parent and I do have a child that uh, has an IEP, but if I was looking, she is in her um, school because I was lucky enough, lucky, 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 really lucky that um, her school community is very small <laughs> and um, the very well-endowed um resources for keeping safety they really strip back so they can keep school open um but if i didn't if i didn't have those options um how would i go about setting up one like can that still i know you're breaking up into smaller Mm -hmm. um small districts but is that even possible in other parts of the country Yes, I, I believe the co-op model is used in other parts of the country as well. Um, I did my undergrad in Wyoming and had never heard of a cooperative. And then when I interviewed for this position, I think another position in Arizona and was trying to figure out, okay, I'm 22. What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? And um, so I know there were other places that had co-ops. And it kind of blew my mind. Like, I was like, oh, you specialize in special education and you have all these resources. Like, it was a really cool idea. Um, and I was really attracted to it. But essentially, the districts have to get together. And so it started with one of our districts being kind of the host district. But then as it grew, then, yeah, I mean, it just, it evolved and shifted. This is our 50th year. Since the um, 70s, I was reading, correct? Yeah. 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 So um, it's evolved significantly. I've been blessed enough to be employed uh, here for the past 13 years. My entire career has been with uh, the co-op that I'm with. Uh, So yeah, I've seen a lot of evolution happen in just the 13 years I've been with it and now um, helping kind of ease out with grace and build up what the new future will look like. It's an interesting time. It's awesome. Um, so I guess my question is, uh, you know, what have you learned about just in the 13 years? And then to add on to that, piggyback to that, um, you know, what advocating have you learned from from doing so as well? Yeah. Um, one of the strengths of, I mean, just being in more of a rural place and looking at how the new division is going to look, I can see like when we're as large as we are, you can have a full-time person who's very specialized in like we have a paraprofessional facilitator. So we have somebody whose whole full-time job is managing the 700 paras as far as hiring, firing, tracking hours, like doing all the things But when we divide into three smaller co-ops, well, that's no longer needed as a full-time job. So then it becomes, okay, who absorbs those duties? What does that look like? Um, So it'll just be different. Um, I think we've been kind of spoiled in being able to be so specialized. Like um, when we connected, you know, I was the professional learning coordinator. My whole focus was professional learning. Um, And so... I could really dig deep and focus intently on that. 
there's not going to be the capacity for that when we go smaller. Um, so whoever's in kind of either an instructional coaching role or a coordinator role will end up absorbing several of those types of duties that in the past have been somebody's full-time job and specialty. So interesting. And then um, just to reiterate the advocating question, um, yeah. what have you learned from, what tips can you give parents or, and teachers um, of littles about how to advocate better for their um, children who need services? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just like you did earlier with explaining, you know, I'm throwing out, yeah, when IDEA and, you know, then we've got FAPE and we've got LRE, least restrictive environment. Um, education can be confusing if you're on the outside looking in, but special education loves their acronyms. <laughs> it's like alphabet soup. And so I just always encourage, um, just ask questions, just keep those lines of communication open. Um, I'm a really strong advocate for, you know, everybody on an IEP team. It is an IEP team and the teacher, the building principal, the parent, the related service provider, whether it's a speech pathologist, a social worker, whatever, everybody is part of a cohesive team and they all have a voice and they're all there for the same reason. They're there to design specifically design instruction for an individual student. And so that student should be the primary focus. What does the student need and how do we provide it to them? Um, so I've seen, I've been parts of really, really amazing cohesive teams where that, that just works the way it's supposed to. And then there's been others where maybe there's been trust broken at some phase in the educational career. And they, you know, it's hard because it comes in almost like two sides, like parents versus school. And that is not the intention. It's all one team um, with the primary focus of how do we meet this student's needs. It's interesting that you said like parents versus school. And that's, I feel like how um, often people feel like it's set up as like, it, it's just, it feels that way. And I, I'm on both sides of it. So I am a parent of, and I am a teacher that does, um, which is different perspectives <laughs> that oftentimes many people don't get. Um, so yeah, I can, I can see how that feels like it, but I also can see how both sides are completely both trying to advocate, <laughs> you know, both have their point of views, right? It's, it's perspective, right? And so the parent has their perspective of, um, not only what they, uh, want in terms of services, but also just, and like, they don't know what they don't know. So sometimes the information you're giving may not be information that they're either ready to hear or ready um, to, to like, maybe they don't have the um, money for that, right? Um, depending on if this child gets declassified and all these things. Um, and also like a parent has their own ideal of, I'm be honest, of like what they thought their child was going to be, right? And I'm I'm going to own that one um, as a parent, right? Like you just have this ideal. Um, and so it can be tough as a teacher to, to be like, so here's what I feel like I'm popping, Boop. <laughs> you know? And sometimes it's a confirmation. Sometimes we're like, yes, 
I knew this, like, which is what I was reminded <laughs> of. It's like, yes, I knew this. And so um, to just always keep that in the back of your mind when you're having these meetings that you're, one, everyone's doing the best they can. Like um, the social worker who has like 500 cases to go through and may only know like this much about your child. They're trying their best. They may forget the name. They may call it he instead of she they're doing their best, right? Like the system is even more so nowadays, it's even more strained than it was before. Um, And so to keep in mind that you are on the same team, I, yeah, I completely always say that you, everyone's doing their best that, you know, they're on the same team. This is some ways you can advocate, but meetings are meetings. And like any other meeting, you never know how they how they um, end up you have you have your hopes and you have your like best plan it's like football right you have your best plan <laughs> and then you hope you get all the goals and you know all the and then maybe the hail mary here and there um and just see how it see where it lands and then you can pick up and always revisit like that's what i always say every year you revisit the plan you revisit the plan you revisit and you, your family changes, right? You matter. Child, you may move. Um, your child will change as the years go by. And so it's always just a journey. That's what this really is. Um, <clears throat> so I'm just going through my list of questions for really like hitting all of them, which is awesome. Um, I guess, so my child does go to a cooperative school, which I'm, right? Parents are typically involved. I'm curious, is that the same in your model on which parents are involved? And if so, how are they involved? Yeah, I mean, parent involvement, you know, the involvement of all the stakeholders in the community and just every level is very important in keeping, you know, the organization of education running. It takes a village. (laughs) Um, And so I'm not sure how yours is set up. Um, but ours, I mean, it's really just how the district, it, it, it's it's public education. It's a public school. Um, so I know in different places I've lived, like they had more like a charter school model that had a little more parent involvement in that, like they were kind of creating. Yeah. So like um, some co-ops, like we have a, um, a parent board, right? And we help with fundraising and other things of that such um other cooperatives I know where parents actually come in and take like a week and um, clean and involve and same here with the school. I mean, like, you know, people volunteer to help with different tasks around the school. I'm just wondering, um, especially if, if it's special education cooperative, how like maybe they have a parent that like sits in and helps support another parent on how to like first walk, walk through their first like, um, annual meeting or something like that. Like that's what I kind of envision when I hear like parent special education and cooperative. And um, and I also wonder if it's uh, has an inclusive model to it or if it's all like self-contained as well. Right. Yeah. So um, for the parent side of the question, I mean, we have different organizations, you know, we have um, the PTO or PTA, whatever um, they call it at each different district or building. We have parents as teachers. Uh, we have a, an organization with the state called Families Together, where a lot of times it's educators who have um, left the classroom and are now supporting families and mending those bridges between the family and the um, 
district kind of being that interpreter and helping break down those things and helping the families process um, and understanding what kind of questions to ask and things like that. So we have different organizations that help support the families and the parents. We obviously have parents that are very involved and want to come in, you know, the room mom and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then for, I lost my train of thought. So you had two parts of the question, the parents and then the. I was saying like for the children, what type of setting is it? Is it inclusion? Is it self-contained? And so to explain inclusion, um, just so those that do not know, um, so least restricted environment is focused on, so you have a general setting, which most most people know, right? Is that main, everyone just goes and they do push-in and pull-out model for um, services, right? Inclusion is you typically have a co-teacher. The co- one teacher is a general ed teacher and a second teacher is the special education teacher. Um, and so services are less likely to be um, <clears throat> pulled out. Um, I have seen it, like, depending on the needs of the child, right? It depends what the IEP says. IEP rules, people. <laughs> so you can know that thing like the back of your hand. Um, and so, uh, but typically everything is all within that within that setting. And then you have self-contained, which is just what it, what it sounds like. It's more a therapeutic model in which um, you have paras and you have um, a special education teacher and a, um, you might have many powers depending on who's assigned to whom um, and then different instruction happening throughout the day. You may have different therapists pulling out for speech or PT or OT depending on if, um, if they can't get pushed in and sometimes they're groups. That's the easiest way to <laughs> explain that in a short amount of time. Um, so my follow-up question was just that, is that, um, does the districts tend to follow more of a self-contained model or inclusion? Um, yeah, we have, we have a continuum of services from age three to 21. And so, you know, we, we have to follow the least restrictive environment. That's a legal uh, federal mandated law there. And so we look at the individual needs of the students. We have them in the general ed classroom with no SPED support as much as possible. Then if they're not being successful there, we may add SPED support in the general edu- class, education classroom, either through um, the use of a paraprofessional or having the special ed teacher push in um, or a related service provider like OTPT could come in and do things in the classroom. Typically, you're going to see that more of a social worker, but um, it just depends on the needs of the students. And then if that's still not successful, then we'd look at pulling out into what we call IS rooms. And so other people would call it like resource rooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like instructional support is what the IS stands for. And then um, all of our classroom types are kind of, they're equal, but they may have different focuses. So we have the IS classroom typically serves those students with kind of mild learning disabilities. The the case manager's caseload may come access them for maybe like 30 minutes of math intervention, but then be in the classroom for the rest of the time, just really what that student needs. 
Then we have what's called an FAA classroom for functional applied academics. And that's going to primarily um, support our students that fall under the um, intellectual disability category. And then we've got structured learning classrooms um, that typically serve students on the autism spectrum. And then uh, PBS classrooms, positive behavior supports that really are needing smaller class sizes, intense structure, intense behavior, um, a lot of social emotional. Um, and then we have a life skills classroom type, and that's for um, students that, you know, maybe accessing um, all they could do is maybe like move their head and um, access a switch and that would activate something so that they can interact and learn. And um, those classrooms, the teachers are just do a phenomenal job and are so creative with um, how they communicate with the students and how they really bring out and help those students reach their full potential and engage in their academics. And then we have a day school that serves um, students who really need that therapeutic setting um, and then it's got two sides. So it has a K-12 kind of positive behavior support type setting. Um, and then it's got our 18 to 21 year old program where they do a lot of things out in the community, uh, working on those vocational skills. That is amazing. I mean, it's interesting how each state, right, like handles um, the needs of their populations and like to hear it breaking down so differently from here in New York City that that is it there are other ways to approach this. Um, so I know my original question was like if I did a homeschool pod, but you can take that idea of like the breakdown of one of these classrooms and really fill it to the needs of your child, right? Like you can create your least restricted environment. Um, and if I know a lot of teachers or littles might be teaching these pods and you're saying like how can I do so? Um, reach out to people who are teaching these types of classrooms. Um, that's what I am offering at the League of Exceptional Littles is we are like a student support. We're like the student support you never had. Um, so essentially this um, membership that I'm creating and really getting um, basically early childhood, the supports they need and like you learning about these things. I'm always learning just so you know, like even though I've been doing this for, been in teaching for like 10 plus years, but like in different settings. Um, and as I see it, I was doing it for seven. I just switched jobs this school year because of COVID but, um, and family needs, but, um, but like you're always learning. So, and that's what this membership was for. So, yeah, and I'm putting it out there. Like, okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, but like, that's what I find fascinating about every time I talk to different teachers, every time I talk to like, they're like, but we did it this way. And I'm like, huh, so I wonder how this, you know, like, I never thought of that, right? So, um, yeah, we're always wondering. And that's what keeps this teaching practice like interesting, right? Um, and you moving into just a start to um, wrap this up, even though I don't want it to end. Um, you moving into administrative um, setting, what are you finding, um, I guess, what do you find, what best advice can you give teachers of littles um, as an administrator as you, I know this year is very different, but just like um, as, as what you've learned from your role previously to now. Yeah. Um, 
so anytime you take on a new role, there's a big growth um, opportunity. And so I knew my first year in administration was going to present lots of growth opportunities. And then you partner that with a dissolution and then COVID hits. And I'm like, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, it's been awesome. I've got great teams, great supports in place. Um, Yeah. So I, I just always, my philosophy of education is what's best for kids. And so many times we get hung up in what's best for adults, what's convenient for adults, what's comfortable for adults. Um, And I'm sorry, we, as adults, we may or may not have a disability, but we have the coping skills and sometimes we have to get over ourselves and do what's best for kids. Um, Even if that looks like, you know, maybe a teacher or a paraprofessional has done it a certain way for many years and they're very happy and they're very good at what they do, but we need them in a different capacity and that's uncomfortable and not popular, but sometimes things like that have to happen. You know, we may have to move staff. Um, we just may have to do different things. And, um, so I really, really, that is my core philosophy is what's best for kids. And it just always go back to what's best for kids. And when you're in those contentious meetings and the adults are kind of getting a little frustrated with each other, just refocus. Why are we here? It also helps to bring a picture of that child. If the child is not old enough to advocate, right? Like remind really like, see, this is what we're talking about. Like, like yes. it gives everyone a visual to stay on track. It sounds like a crazy trick, but it's, it works. <laughs> Right. Um, it does. So, it does. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, child-centered, right? Like child-centered, child-centered. No matter what your philosophy of Montessori versus Reggio versus unschooling versus, but like we, we all just want what's best for um, the child, right? That 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 is at the center of it. Um, so thank you, thank you for that reminder. Um, so where can we find more about your work? Um, and Chanta, I know this is not like, I know I picked your brain about your day job, but you're more than welcome to share because I'm always an advocate for teachers of like work-life balance mm. and um, really self-care, right? Like, yeah. um, but not toxic, right? Let's not be all like, oh, it's always perfect because we know it's not. <laughs> um, yeah. So where can teachers kind of dive deeper into themselves yeah. with your work? So in my second or third year of teaching, I literally woke up one morning and had chunks of my hair missing Mm -hmm. and I panicked and, you know, in a moment of not clear thinking thought, oh my gosh, I have a brain tumor and it's Mm -hmm. pushing out of my head and pushing my hair out. Like, again, I'm an educator. I'm not a healthcare professional. (laughs) Just not, it was not a moment for logical thinking. It was a moment for panic. And uh, what was happening was due to prolonged levels of stress with no coping uh, mechanisms, no self-care in place, my body had developed an autoimmune deficiency where um, my autoimmune disease was attacking my hair follicles. Mm -hmm. And I had to get like shots of steroids, needles in your scalp don't feel good. I do not recommend doing this. Just get some self-care in place. (laughs) Do not do what I did. Um, but yeah, I was, I didn't have a lunch. I didn't have a plan. I was showing up at 6 a.m., staying till 9 p.m., working this on math. This is typical for, for many, yeah, for many teachers. Yeah. This is real life. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't drink Especially water. 
Yeah. Um, I wouldn't drink water because heaven forbid, I need to use the restroom during my eight hour work day. Um, cause who was going to watch the children? And I had them in my classroom during my lunch. I mean, I didn't have a lunch, so I'd be eating like a cliff bar mm-hmm. filled with preservatives. And I mean, just barely yeah. surviving. Um, and my body finally was like, okay, you're not paying attention to all these other things. So we're going to give you a pretty big sign that you need to do something different. And so now I am very passionate about helping um, educators find that work-life balance. And so like you mentioned in the bio, I have a book, I have a podcast, I have an active Facebook group, everything's under create a life you love coaching. Um, So you can find me on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, those are Facebook is where I'm most active. And then uh, the podcast, Create a Life You Love podcast, where we just share tips and strategies to help everybody on their journey to create a life they love. Um, do a lot of productivity hacks, um, how to just incorporate that self care and have that work life balance. Um, you know, reigniting that purpose and passion in life, rediscovering your why. Um, there are mornings when your alarm goes off and you're in education, you're like, why am I doing this? (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not the money. (laughs) Well, and the tricky part nowadays is I'm living it is that I'm working from home. Right. So like literally if I don't have to drop my child off, I roll out of bed and then I'm like, what do I do? (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, what do I do? Or I rush to make lunch and I'm like, why am I rushing to make lunch? Oh, because I wait, I have 30 minutes. <laughs> I still have a 30 minute lunch. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's just, it's really good reminders to have, um, to take that time to slow down. I've been doing, um, before we go, I've been doing yoga uh, with Adrian. She has like a 30 day journey. If you're listening to this, it is January. It is, I don't do new year, new you. I just wanted to try something different. <laughs> Um, and that was my something different to start the new year. So, um, yeah, so. Awesome. And then, um, we discussed, I do have a little free mini course, um, called the free guide to goal tracking, um, for any sped educators out there, you'll be like, wow, she's really going to have me set my baseline and track my progress. And yep, I am a special education teacher. (laughs) Smart goal. (laughs) You're going to make a smart goal. It's going to be measurable. (laughs) Out of 80%. Okay. (laughs) But it's completely free and it just helps kind of go through little baby steps steps to help refocus and recenter. Um, it is January where a lot of people like to set goals, but it's good any time of the year. Um, if there's something that you're like, Oh, I'd really like to run a 5k, but I don't know where to start. Well, I have free apps linked in there, like for tracking health things, um, tracking financial things, whatever your goal is, you get to pick a goal or area of your life. And it'll guide you through a couple simple activities so that you can be successful and track your goals. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's all about breaking those down. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Chantel, once again, for being on the show. I really appreciate and I've learned so much about <clears throat> excuse me, what you do, both uh, in your day job, but also in your amazing coaching business. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey y'all, I am back. I wanted to pop on in on the end of today's episode and say thank you so much for listening. And if this resonated with you, leave me a review on your favorite podcast app. And if you're like me and you're a geek for resources 
don't forget to check out the show notes at themagicoflittles.com on the site. And thank you again for listening. It's an honor to be part of your teacher tribe. Catch you on the flip side.